0: Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us today online. If you would like to connect with us, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our Instagram, or you can go to our website at heightschurch.org connect. Thank you for joining us. everybody. Thanks for being here for worship this morning. Man, it was, it was a blessing. You know, there is nothing that I love more than standing up here on this stage and leading Heights Baptist Church in worship on a Sunday morning, unless it's those couple of Sundays a year where I get to sit out there and sing with y'all. So I want to just say thank you to Greg and the team this morning. Man, we are so blessed uh, by the gifted individuals who lead us in worship every single week. I am just so blessed to be a part of it and have the opportunity to just kind of uh, kind of pull it all together. But man, the, the, the gifts that uh, brothers and sisters in this church have for leading in worship, I just am so grateful for that. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Heights, and this morning we are going to be continuing in our sermon series through the book of Titus. The series is called Every Good Work, and this morning we're going to be in Titus chapter 1. But before we do anything else, I would invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to gather together and worship your name. Lord, as we open up the scriptures together this morning, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds, that our hearts would be changed, and that our minds would be transformed by your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Heights. Pastor Lee is here on campus today. I think he's serving in the kids' ministry, so you can pray for him. (laughs) As we get started this morning, I I want you to think, uh, I want you to think through a question for me. Have you ever been in a situation where you looked up to someone and they let you down? Did you ever look up to somebody, some kind of a leader in your life, and that leader let you down? You know, I, as I was thinking through this question for myself, there were names that, that came to mind. Names like Richard Nixon. Bill Cosby, Lance Armstrong, OJ Simpson, and uh, if you guys are Astros fans, trash cans. But seriously, I think all of us can relate to a time, where, whether we're talking about a political leader or or a sports figure or a celebrity where there was a person that we looked up to and we admired, and then they had some kind of a terrible fall from grace. And you know, that happens in the church as well. I, I don't want to see a show of hands on this one, but how many of you guys have been a part of a church where you felt the pain of a pastor or a church staff member or a church leader that had some kind of a moral failure. You know, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And when church leaders fall, the results can be devastating. You know, there was a particular person that I really looked up to. Uh, This is 10, almost 15 years ago. Uh, I discovered this preacher on YouTube. And this guy rocked my world. At the time, he was the pastor of one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the United States. At their peak, they were seeing 15,000 people on a Sunday spread out over 12 multi-site campuses in four different states. And this guy, he preached for an hour. And I was there for it because he was funny and he was engaging and he was challenging. And and, and I watched his sermons. I watched literally hundreds of hours of his sermons. I watched his sermons the way I watch podcasts now. I watched him at the gym. I watched him when I was in my car. I read his books. I used his curriculum for my church small groups. I even used some of his materials to craft sermon series in a church that I was leading worship at. And then One year, all these accusations and controversies and and uh, issues started coming up, and we started. There was, you know, and some of it was just, you know, the usual stuff that people say on social media. But then staff members and former staff members started coming forward and talking about the fact that behind closed doors, this guy was was really awful and really ugly and really abusive. And there was an investigation and eventually he left that church and that church, that 15,000 member church imploded and in a matter of weeks it was gone. It was completely gone. Some of you guys may have been in, a, in the part of a church, have been a part of a church when there was a pastor or a staff member who had some kind of a moral failure, and the results of that, the collateral of da- the collateral damage can be catastrophic. The pain, that it, it hurts the people that are in the church, it hurts the people that are connected to the families of people in the church, and it even hurts people outside the church, because folks who don't know Jesus, who are looking into the church, when big When big pastors and church leaders, pastors of big churches hit the news, that's just one more reason for people who don't know the Lord to be distrustful of the church. You know, the season that we're living in, the last couple of years, there have been several very high-profile pastors and church leaders, pastors in big churches who have had big failures, whether it was a moral failure where they were unfaithful to their spouse Or or, or it, it became known that they were really struggling with issues of addiction and drugs and alcohol. Or sometimes like the guy that I was a big fan of, he just found out that he was just kind of a jerk and a bully and mean and verbally abusive to his staff. And then there's another group of people that I see, and I hope you guys don't spend as much time on Twitter as I do, but these guys who come out and say, hey, I've been serving the church faithfully and teaching the church faithfully for years, but I just want to let everybody know that I no longer consider myself a Christian. I'm deconstructing. And so what I want you to do is buy my book and follow me on Instagram, and for 1995, I want you to deconstruct along with me. In the last couple of years, we've just seen scandal after scandal after scandal as we've seen high-profile church leaders fall. It makes me wonder if this isn't a little bit what it might have been like to live through the 1980s when uh, the televangelist evangelist scandals started to break. I was doing some reading on the history of that uh, this past week. But the reality is church hurts hurt deeply. And the reality is that who leads our churches is so important because leadership matters. Leadership matters in any organization, but especially in the context of the church. And that's uh, the subject of the passage that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be, once again, in the book of Titus. We're going to be in Titus chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse five and we're going to read what Paul has to say to Titus about the kinds of qualities that you need to be looking for in the men that lead churches as pastors. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to Titus, or if you've got a phone, go ahead and turn it on and find your Bible app, go ahead and close up Instagram and get your Bible app open, and we're going to read together starting in verse five quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, I want to encourage you with this. Some of you guys are going to read this passage, and you're going to realize, okay, so, pa- so Paul and Pastor Matt are talking about what pastors need to look like. I'm not a pastor. Therefore, this doesn't apply to me. All right? So I can just sort of take a mental vacation for the next 55 minutes. I'm just kidding. It's not going to be that long. I promise. Let me encourage you in this, all right? All right? All of us are leaders. Paul is talking specifically to the men that are going to be uh, pastoring the churches on the Isle of Crete. But every single one of us, wherever we are in life, we are leading someone. If you are a father, you are leading your wife and your children. If you are a mother, you are leading those children in your home. If you're a guy who works a job, the guys who have been at that job less time than you, they are looking to you for leadership whether you know it or not. And if you're a member of God's church, if you're a follower of Jesus, those who have been following Jesus less time than you have, they are looking to you as an example. All of us are leaders of somebody. We all lead different groups of people. We may not work for the church. We may not be a pastor. We may not have... Um, we might have a title. we may not get a paycheck from the church, but all of us are going to be leading people inside and outside of the church. And the qualifications that Paul is talking about in this passage are not things that are specific only to pastors, but they're qualities, they're character qualities that all of us should strive to have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now there's a lot of qualities here. there's um I'm pretty sure there's 15 of them. Uh, it depends on how you do the Greek and where you put the comma, but there's about 15 things. So what we're going to do is we're going to group them into a couple of different categories. But first of all, let's let's talk a little bit about who Paul is talking to and who he's talking about. He's talking to Titus, all right? And Paul has started a missionary work on the Isle of Crete. And there's all of these little churches that have started on Crete. And Paul is writing to Titus saying, "We got to get this thing organized. There's little congregations that are meeting in like every town on this island, and they don't have good leadership. They don't have good leadership. And so what you need to do is you need to appoint pastors, men that are going to lead and to teach the Bible to these to these people." He uses two words. He uses the word elder and he uses the word overseer. Now, in the Bible, those two words are used interchangeably, elder and overseer. We, they, they, they flip back and forth. Paul flips back and forth to those, two, uh, to those two terms in these five verses. All right. And these are the men that are charged primarily with preaching and teaching God's word and leading the church, leading God's people. Uh, at Heights, we call these individuals pastors. All right, so there's three pastors on staff at Heights. Pastor Lee is our lead pastor. And then myself, I'm I'm our pastor over worship. Jonathan is our pastor over students. So you've got three pastors at Heights, three pastors. These are the, the same kinds of men that Paul is talking about in this passage. The men who are primarily responsible for the preaching and the teaching and the leadership of the church. And what we're going to see is we're going to walk through these 15 different qualities, these 15 different character traits, and we're going to put them in about three different categories. The first category we're going to look at, faithful leaders are faithful to their families. Faithful leaders are faithful to their, pa- to their families, all right? This is what Paul says. He says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, this word above reproach, this is translated in other translations as the word blameless. Blameless. Now, I want to just be careful here. I want you to understand, all right? This word blameless does not mean sinless, and it does not mean perfect, all right? That would be impossible. If, If you are looking for perfect men to be pastors, you're going to have no pastors, all right? There is only one perfect man who ever lived, and his name is Jesus. If you came to Heights this morning and you're looking for for perfect pastors, I apologize, you're not going to find them here, all right? I am not perfect. Pastor Lee will tell you, he is not perfect. Jonathan is definitely not perfect. (laughs) When Paul uses this word, above reproach or blameless. What he's talking about is, does this person live a life that is marked by the transformation of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ? Is this a person who has been transformed by the gospel and is continuing to be transformed by the process that we call sanctification. That's a big churchy word. We talked about big churchy words in my life group this morning. Sanctification is a big churchy word that means we're becoming more and more like Jesus all the time, but we're not there yet. When Paul talks about being blameless or above reproach, he's saying, is there not some glaringly obvious thing that this guy needs to work on? Is there not something that somebody in the community or in the church can come out and say, hey, I got a problem with this guy because of X, Y, Z, because of this sin, because of this pattern of behavior, because of this relationship. That's what it means to be above reproach. It means people are not, people are not going to, inside or out the, or outside of the church, are not able to bring an accusation against you because you are living your life patterned after what it means to follow Jesus. So what does that look like? As you're faithful to your families, it says the husband of one wife. The, the Greek literally says a one woman man. So the first question I want to ask us this morning is, are we faithful to our spouse? This is a place where we have seen so many large church, high profile Christian leaders fall. You know, I don't know what it is. I felt like in this last year, every time I would scroll through Twitter, I would see a new news article about some big church pastor who ended up in somebody's hotel room that was not their spouse. And I'm like, are you guys getting lost in the elevator? What's going on here? Obviously, when you're asking yourself, are you faithful to your spouse? Obviously, the, you know, the, don't miss the big E on the eye R- chart. Are you being faithful to them as, and as in there's no adultery? But I say, let's take it a step further. Are you pursuing your spouse? Are you staying away from those dangerous or questionable or tricky relationships? Are you spending time texting somebody that you're not married to? Do you have inappropriate friendships with somebody that you're not married to? Are you sliding into DMs? Are you on dating apps? Are you swiping left or so sw- I don't know which one it is. I've been married for 20 years. But, you know, are you swip- swiping left or swiping right? All of this is stuff that you do not need to be messing with if you are married. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, it says a man that strays far from his home is like a bird that strays from his nest. It's dangerous out there. Let your home and your spouse be your focus. And I would take it even one step further. Being faithful to your spouse means are you putting in the time to cultivate that relationship? Are you doing what is needed to have a healthy marriage? Not just staying away from the bad stuff. There's kids in here, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Not just staying away from the bad stuff, but pursuing what is good. Pursuing your spouse in a healthy and loving way. Putting in that time. Putting in that work. Are you faithful to your spouse? And then the next question I got to ask, because it's the next thing that Paul talks about, is are you faithful to your children? This is what he says. He says, and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination and this is the one that really stresses me out all right because you guys have met my kids oh my god and and so I you know what does the Greek mean when it says insubordination because like is writing your name on the church wall is that insubordination you know because I got kids and, and we come in here for sound check and I say sit in those green chairs right there do they sit in the green chairs no they're all over the place they're messing with the water they're outside they're hanging from the rafters they're up there backstage they're all over the place And I'm like, and I'm trying to say, I'm like, Hannah, if you're going to write your name on the wall at the church, don't write your own name. Write Jake Marcel was here. (laughs) I mean, at least she's honest, right? Paul isn't talking about childish irresponsibility that they will grow out of when he's saying debauchery and insubordination, the picture that you need to have in your mind is the prodigal son. That's the kind of behavior that we're talking about. Now, this gets even trickier, right? Because the thing that's interesting about this passage is it says children, children who are believers. But you know what? As parents, we can't just snap our fingers and make our children into believers. I wish that were true, amen? But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because we know that ultimately God is the one who saves. And every man, woman, and child has to make their own decision to repent and follow Jesus. It's sort of like the old adage, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Or or, or I thought about it this way, you know, as as kids, you know, as as kids get older and they finish high school and they, they start to do college and stuff, you can still be on your parents' cell phone plan and you can still be on your parents' health insurance, but your parents' faith does not get you into heaven. Your parents' faith does not save you. So where does that leave us? Because ultimately, our children's salvation is not in our control. Ultimately, our children's salvation is between them and Jesus. But you know what we can do? We can pray for our kids. And we can pray that they will meet the God of the universe who loves them. That they will come face to face with Jesus who died for them. And if you have adult children who have children of their own and they don't know Christ, that means you get down on your knees and you pray all the harder. And when they're growing up, when they're in your house, you, you, you share the Bible with them. You read Bible stories to them when they're little. You model what it looks like to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And he kind of shows you these concentric circles, Right? You know, in the book of Acts, he says, you're going to start in Jerusalem, then you're going to go to all Judea, and then you're going to go to the outermost parts of the earth. Don't forget that your most important mission field is those kids that live in your house that have your last name. Pray for those kids. Share Christ with those kids. Do not trust that you taking them to church for an hour a week or two hours a week is going to be enough. They need to see you living for Jesus. You want your kids to be in God's word? Open up God's word yourself and show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. You want your children to be in prayer? You get down on your own knees and make sure it's a spot where they can see you. Have those conversations around the dinner table about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's what Paul is looking for here. When he's looking at faithful leadership that are faithful to their families, he's saying, are, have, you done, have you done everything in your power to share Christ with your children? And you guys are just going to have to bear with me for a second here because I'm going to I'm going to just brag on my kids for a minute because the reason, because every time I get up here, I I tell, I tell stories on my kids and they're always the punchline of every joke. So I just got to stop for a second and say, I am so blessed that all four of my kids have made a profession of faith and they have made that in spite of all of my shortcomings as a parent. Part of the reason they have done that is because of the ministry of the men and women in Heights Baptist Church who have loved them in the children's ministry. But I am just so encouraged to watch uh, my son serve faithfully in tech. Uh, Hannah is the cutest little door greeter you'll ever meet. And I love to watch Esther worship. And nobody can pack a barbecue sandwich like Naomi. I'm so, I'm so grateful. I am blessed that I have had the opportunity to raise my kids in a church that loves them and cares about them and takes care of them and has shared the gospel with them. I know not all of us in the room are in the same place. Some of you guys are devastated because you have children that are not walking with the Lord. And some of, those, some of them are adults and some of them have children of their own. Continue to pray for your children continue to share Christ with your children whenever and however you can. Because faithful leaders are faithful to their family. Not only are faithful leaders faithful to their family, they're also faithful to their community. And this is the place where it's going to get, it's going to get wordy. We're going to bog down. There's going to be a lot of definitions. Okay. So just hang in there. There's a lot of words we got to unpack here. Right? because what Paul is going to do is he's going to give us a list of six things that we don't want to be and six things that we do want to be and this is what he says he says for an overseer again that's that's a, a person that we would call a pastor it's the same it's the same idea as the elder in the in the previous verse for an overseer as God's steward must be above Reproach. We've already talked about that word. Paul used that in in, in verse 6. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. And the picture that Paul uses is that of a steward. A steward in the ancient world is the servant who is in charge of managing his master's house. He's saying, when you are choosing the guys that are going to be pastors of these churches, look to the guys who have managed their own households well, because those are the guys, your own household is the proving ground for being able to manage God's church well. But brothers and sisters, all of us are going to have groups of people that are looking to us that we need to manage well. Even if it doesn't say pastor on our name tag. So he says above reproach, once again, sometimes that's, tr- that's uh, translated blameless. And he says not arrogant. An arrogant person is, a person is always right. So the question you need, you need to ask yourself is, are, do you always have to be right? Or are you flexible enough in your opinions that you're willing to listen to the ideas and feelings and thoughts and contributions of others? Does it always have to be your way or the highway, or is it what we really want is God's way? He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Do you have a short fuse? I don't know if you guys know this. Some of you have been here long enough that you, you probably know this, that sometimes church people can be really ugly And the reason for that is because church people are people just like everywhere else in the world, and sometimes they are people that are dealing with a lot of pain. And sometimes that pain lashes out. I have gotten emails and letters throughout the course of my ministry that really ruined my week and really made me wonder if if I was doing anything right at all. And are you ready in that moment to respond graciously? Have you got a long enough fuse that you can respond graciously? Not arrogant, not quick-tempered, or a drunkard. Do you have a problem with alcohol? Is there something in your life that you are spending so much time and energy on that it is ne- negatively affecting your family or your work or the law? Whether that be like a substance abuse like alcohol or maybe it's, or maybe it's drugs or maybe, maybe it's a device, screen time, social media. Are you finding, is there something that you are addicted to violent. Now the Greek word here literally means a striker. It means like a brawler. And, and, and I know here, here at Heights Baptist Church, I know a couple of guys that God really saved them from this, right? In their, in their former life, they literally had to be careful about who they were going to lay out when they, when they said the wrong thing to them. But for a lot of us, that's not really who we are. But you know, God's word tells us that the tongue is a fire. And the Psalms talk about the fact that the words that we speak are capable of spewing venom at other people. So think about that the next time that you are in the comment section on social media. Are you violent? Are you a bully? Are you somebody who's always looking for a fight? Somebody who's always looking for conflict? blessed are the peacemakers. Greedy for gain. Now, I'll tell you right now, for, for the vast majority of pastors and church staff, all right, working for a church is not a way to get ahead financially. I'm just going to throw that out there. Y'all are very generous. I'm just saying, there's other ways to make money besides working for a church. But man, wasn't there, wasn't there a thing a couple weeks ago where one of those big churches in Houston, they found like $600,000 in a bathroom? Did y'all see that? That was crazy. I don't know what was going on with that. But, but the question here is, what is your motivation? Are you a person who loves money and uses people? Or are you a person who uses money to love people? Because that's what we wanna be as brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's the naughty list, all right? Are you guys ready for the nice list? All right, we got through all the bad stuff, now we're gonna to get to the good stuff. Verse eight, this is what he says He says, but hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Man, I just, I'm, I'm starting to feel this weight. Right now, you know, I'm feeling like there's a lot of weight on my shoulders right now. Hospitable. This does not necessarily mean that you throw the Instagram perfect Pinterest party. All right, y'all know what I'm talking about with the paper straws and everything matches and there's tags. A hospitable person is someone who is willing to use their resources for the benefit of others. This is the opposite of somebody who's greedy for, 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 for gain. All right, this is someone who is willing to use their home and their resources to further the mission of the gospel. So yeah, so that means maybe sometimes you have people from church over. Sometimes you invite non-believers over to build relationships with them. Sometimes you use your resources to help someone out that is in need. That's what it means to be hospitable. A lover of good. Well, I mean, that sounds really self-explanatory, a lover of good. Uh, The lover of good is as opposed to a lover of self, which is an expression that you see uh, in 1 Timothy and Titus. The idea is that do you love yourself more or do you love other people more? This is the opposite of what it means to be arrogant. Are you primarily concerned about your own interests or also the interests of others? that's what it means to be a lover of good self-controlled this is somebody who's got their stuff together right this term in the greek the idea is that you live a life that is in balance right so maybe that means that your uh, your calendar and your and your monthly budget okay they're they're at an equilibrium. They're where they need to be. Your, um, your balancing of work and family and ministry, your priorities are in the right place. That's, those are the kind of ideas uh, that are invoked by this word that's translated self-controlled. Upright. Elsewhere in the scripture, this word is sometimes translated as righteous or just. In other words, this is a person who does the right thing because it's the right thing. Not because they're, gonna, they're afraid of getting caught, not because they're trying to get ahead. This is someone who does the right thing because it is the right thing to do. And this is someone who treats people fairly. They don't show favorites, they don't show favoritism, they treat all people with respect and fairness, because it's the right thing to do. Holy. Holy is an idea that comes from the Old Testament that means to be set apart. Set apart for God and his service. So the question I would ask when it comes to holiness is, what does your devotional life look like? Are you spending time to get away? Are you spending time to be in God's word? spending time praying? Are you spending time attending church and gathering with believers? These are the kinds of people that God is calling to lead his church. You might might be asking, wait a minute, are you trying to tell me that there's guys that want to be pastors that don't go to church? You'd be surprised. That's all I'm going to say is you'd be surprised. And the final word here, the final quality that Paul is calling leaders to, to be faithful leaders, is disciplined. Okay, now this is a little tricky because we already had self-controlled a couple of words ago, but this word disciplined here, this is the same Greek word that we get in Galatians at the end of the list of the fruit of the spirit. All right? Fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I know I skipped a couple. Those are just the ones that I have a hard time with. Someone who is self-controlled is someone who is not easily swayed by their emotions or their circumstances. Again, have you got a long fuse? Do you have yourself emotionally under control so that you can make wise decisions based on the counsel of the word of God? Or are you just letting every crisis just throw you every which way? That's the idea that Paul is getting at when he uses that word disciplined. Are you a person who is not guided by your emotions, but, by, but guided by the Holy Spirit? Now folks, that was a lot. That's a lot of words. But it's important because leadership matters and the kinds of qualities and the character of our leaders matter, especially within the church. Because faithful leaders are faithful to their communities. And there's one final way that Paul talks about leaders being faithful. And that's faithful leaders are faithful to God's word. Listen to what he says. This is verse 9. He says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And also rebuke those who contradict it. This word "sound doctrine, this is a phrase that you're going to see come up again in Titus. It happens frequently in First Timothy and Titus, what we call the pastoral epistles. Paul is writing to pastors in churches. Sound doctrine means healthy doctrine. And, and, and so it's, 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 a, it's a doctrine that's cohesive, a doctrine that holds together, a doctrine that works. The very best definition of sound doctrine that I was able to find uh, comes from a pastor uh, by the name of Bobby Jameson. This is what he says. I'm going to put the um, definition up on the screen. He says, sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. It's a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. And think about this for a minute, all right? In order to be a faithful leader, you do not need to know the answer to every single tricky theological question. You don't. These, these guys that, that Titus is getting ready to install as pastors in these churches, they've not been to Bible college and they've not been to seminary. All right, because seminary hadn't been invented yet. No, what is important for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, because we are all leading somebody, is our ability to effectively summarize the gospel. Who is Jesus? What has Jesus done? And are we able to summarize that gospel in a way that is faithful to the word of God? Are we able to communicate clearly that Jesus Christ entered into human history, lived a perfect, sinless life for 30 plus years? He died a horrible death on a cross, in our place for our sin, that he rose victorious on the third day, victorious over Satan and sin and death. And that when we repent, when we turn and follow him and place our faith in him, we get a new life because the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are given a new life that starts the moment that we say yes to Jesus. And that's a life that stretches on into eternity. That is sound doctrine. There are a lot of little questions and tricky controversies just in the five verses that we looked at this morning that we didn't talk about because I don't have great answers for them. And I've been to seminary. Do we have sound doctrine? You see, there is a temptation in the world today to reject sound doctrine because what the Bible says is not popular. And so there is a temptation in leaders, especially big church leaders with big social media followings, to say, ah, the Bible doesn't really say that, to soft pedal, to twist, to sidestep, to shrug and say, oh, I don't really know. You know, one of the things that has been really hard for me, being the the age that I am and the generation I grew up in, is there have been not only high-profile pastors and authors and church leaders that that have chosen to walk away from the gospel, but an awful lot of Christian musicians in these last couple of years said, hey, I used to play in this band and tell people all about Jesus, but you know what? I'm not really into it anymore. Follow me on Twitter, buy my new book, and let's all reject God's word together. Whether you are the pastor of a church or leading a small group Bible study or discipling your children in your home, what you say has to be built upon the authority of the word of God. His word is what give us gives us the authority. When we say, thus saith the Lord, we better have a Bible in our hand. And we need that sound doctrine to accurately summarize the teachings of God's word. And also rebuke those who contradict it. And when it comes time to rebuke those who contradict it, remember all the stuff that we said about not being a jerk and not having a short temper and not being a brawler and not being violent. So remember, the next time you've got somebody online who says something about a Bible verse that you disagree with, just put, remember, all those other qualities before you start typing. Can we say amen on that, church? Faithful leaders are faithful to their family, they're faithful to their community, and they're faithful to God's word. And we have just, in just a few minutes, a little less than the 55 minutes I said it was going to be, we have gone through an awful lot of qualities that Paul says we need to have in leaders. And again, we talked about the fact that we're all leaders. Now, I don't know about y'all, but man, after spending a week studying this passage in depth, I felt like, man, I, I, was, I was discouraged and I was overwhelmed I was like, I'm pretty sure I need to fire myself. I'm not sure that I live up to all 15 of these things all the time. There are some of these things that I do better than others. You see, the thing about leaders, human leaders, is ultimately they're always going to disappoint you. If we make the mistake of looking to human leadership rather than ultimately looking to Jesus, we're always going to be disappointed. But you know, I think maybe we may not be any more disappointed when than when we look at ourselves and say, man, fifteen that's that's a lot. I don't know if I can do that all the time. I definitely can't do it all the time perfectly. But you know what? Jesus did. Jesus has, and Jesus continues to. You see, that's the whole point of the gospel. That's the sound doctrine, is that we were unable to be perfect on our own. So Jesus came and stood and was perfect for us. So do not be discouraged, brothers and sisters, when you read a passage like this and say, I am not perfect like this like this book is calling me to be. No, instead recognize we are not perfect, but Jesus is. So let's follow the one who is perfect. Let's get on our knees and pray that he will begin to change us, that his spirit will do its work in our lives so that those places in our life where we are not measuring up, we begin to measure up. You know, one of the things that just really impacted me in this passage is Paul did not give Titus a list of do's and don'ts. He gave him a list of character qualities. This is not about checking off the boxes. This is about the kind of person that you are. And the only person that can change the kind of person that you are is Jesus. Who is the greatest leader that you will ever look to. And who will never let you down.
1: I want to thank you for watching today's message, and I want to just leave you with one final question: If you were to die today and to stand before the Lord in judgment, and God just asked you, "Why should I let you into my heaven?" What would you say? You know, common answers. A lot of times, people will say, "Well, I've been good. I've tried to obey. You know, all the laws, or I've tried to do everything you wanted me to do, God." Um, you know, sometimes folks say, "Well," You know, I grew up going to church. But really, the answer the Bible gives us is the only way we get into heaven and the only reason we're welcomed into God's heaven is because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that it is Christ who knew no sin, who became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so what that means is simply this that Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man here on this earth, He lived a sinless life. Uh, he obeyed God perfectly. He obeyed everything. Never once did He sin. But then they put Him on a cross. You know, the, the, the religious leaders, the Romans, they didn't like Him, so they crucified Him. But while He was there on the cross as God's Son, all of our sin, my sin, your sin, was put upon Him. The Bible says that uh, the Lord had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That means this, that Jesus at that very moment, even though he had never sinned in his life, became sin for you. He became sin for me. And now because Jesus died on that cross for us, he was put in the tomb and three days later rose again, that the Bible says when we receive him in our lives, we choose to follow him, that we now get his righteousness And so God sees Jesus in us. And now we're declared not guilty. And we have a relationship with God now that lasts throughout all of eternity. And so that great exchange takes place in your life when you say yes to Jesus Christ. You turn from your sin. You place your faith, your trust in Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. So I want to encourage you to do that today. You can simply just pray right where you're along with me. And, uh, you know, this prayer isn't magical by any stretch of imagination, but the Bible tells us to call out to the Lord uh, for salvation. So you can just bow right where you are and simply pray, Dear God, today I'm ready to follow Jesus. I want to turn from my sin and find forgiveness and life in Christ. Thank you, God, for saving me. You know, friend, if you've prayed that, I encourage you to let us know because we want to come alongside of you, encourage you, answer questions, and help you along that journey with following Jesus. So you can connect with us at heightschurch.org/connect, heightschurch.org/connect, and just fill out that decision form, and we will be in touch with you. So thank you for watching today, and uh, please, we encourage you if you're in our area. Uh, Join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. or find us here again on YouTube and Facebook. God bless.